Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. But I want to start off with a story. There was someone uh, who became a friend of ours, my wife and I, several, several years ago, and she came to follow Christ uh, from just a very interesting background, very interesting life. She comes to follow Christ, she's so excited, so passionate about her faith, uh, but her life was messy. Her faith was real, but her life was a, was a roller coaster. You, you get that? We can sometimes feel that, right? Sometimes our faith is real, but our life can feel like a roller coaster. Uh, she met this guy, and she eventually caught this vision for marriage that developed. And the vision for marriage was good, uh, especially kind of considering her life up to that point. But her vision uh, for what kind of marriage and what kind of person wasn't yet shaped by Christ yet. Passionate for Christ, growing in faith, but not yet shaped in those themes yet. So right idea, wrong road. You ever feel that as well sometimes? Right idea, wrong road. And while she tried to make good decisions on the wrong road, nothing ever seemed to work well. And it's, this is important because I think we've felt this at times, where we've tried to make the right decisions on the wrong road, or we have kind of a general good vision, but it's not shaped by the values of Jesus yet. And our talk on discernment the last few weeks, I want to lead up to this point today to kind of help us understand true discernment is a vision for the outcome of what we're looking towards, the outcome of life, the outcome of our relationships, the outcome of how we steward our life and resources. True discernment is partly the vision for the outcome. And when the vision is good, when the road is good, discernment helps us weigh the options, weigh the opportunities in front of us. Like, is this worth it? Uh, is this life-giving? Is this a blessing, not just for me, because we can overuse that word blessing, but is it a blessing for others as well in the world around us? And when we reduce discernment to just decisions but miss the bigger picture, we can be making decisions on the wrong road. And so we want to think about the overall outcome. And so today I want to just kind of end our series looking at maybe what it, what it means to become a person of discernment, because sometimes we can just take the idea of discernment and like fuel our human ambitions. We're like, I want to make really good decisions for what I want to do with my life, because we want it to be successful. And then we can, you can go to any motivation expert online or find the self-help book, uh, books on Amazon or chapters. But really the heart of what we want to get to today is a life that's worth living because it reflects God's kingdom. And if you're new here today or you're visiting and you don't have a background of faith, we're a church, right? So we talk about God's kingdom, God's life, God's vision uh, that we, we mainly see in the person and ways of Jesus. And there's this New Te Testament picture of, of a discerning person. It's found in Colossians chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. It'll also be on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul writing in the New Testament, as he often does to various churches, various situations going on. And here, Colossians 1, 9 to 12, has... Uh, part of the beginning of this letter, and I want to read it together for the picture in our minds today uh, to just kind of grow in, you know, this final week of discernment. So here, here it is. Paul writes this, and he, he's starting to pray, actually, in these opening passages. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from His glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Let's just pause and pray. Um, God, as we, we just kind of, as we come around the Scriptures today, we also are reminded that churches around the world are coming around the Scriptures today. Churches around the world are leaning into this season of Lent as well, that to really make space to reset and renew and walk towards the cross and resurrection. We're reminded of our youth uh, with three other churches here in the West Island gathering together around the Scriptures this morning at Parkside Ranch. We pray for them that you'd be present with them and that they would recognize your presence among them. Would you lead us now, God? Captivate our attention as we make room for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I love all of Paul's prayers in, this, in the New Testament. I mean, whenever I'm reading the epistles, it's like I always kind of stumble along the prayers and just kind of hover there because they're, they're often just so rich uh, with meaning and purpose. And here Paul is praying again, and his prayer for you and me is that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's a whole other topic. Like, that's, a, like, that's like a, a year-long series. Like, what is God's will uh, for our lives, for my life, and all that? But he's praying that, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. But Paul, right, now he's a transformed person in Christ writing this. So he has a new vision for life. He's not just like, it's not just merely his ambitions. I want this, I want that. In fact, as you track with Paul's life in the book of Acts and in these letters, you notice that he surrenders his ambitions to God because he's met Jesus. And Jesus is now the governing authority, the, the, the leader, the Lord of his life. And now this didn't lower Paul's like energy. Paul remained a very ambitious person. Paul remained a very energetic person and passionate person, but now his life is driven by God's will, by God's vision, by what he encounters in Jesus and how Jesus transforms his heart. And one of the keys to this life, as he's praying this for this church and for us, is is, is the key to discernment, because he's, he's praying that we would be filled with uh, the, the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's really key, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What's really important here is we can talk about wisdom on a human level, we can talk about understanding on a human level, but Paul kind of puts this adjective before these two words, and um, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Some would translate it in the original, the Spirit's wisdom. So Spirit-shaped, Spirit-led, Spirit-enabled wisdom and understanding. This is so different. This is not just, I'm going to get wisdom from the world, I'm going to get knowledge. Some of the gifts that are at our disposal for our discernment. But there's something unique here. N.T. Wright calls this a Christian instinct. Somehow, like, this new Christian, Christ-centered instinct begins to develop as we follow Jesus by the Spirit. And, and the, what the Spirit does in this, it starts to shape our wants and shape what we love, and that begins to change. And these in instincts come out in our actions and come out when we face decisions, especially. See, I bet that your instincts come out when somebody does something to you, 
And when they do something to you, you normally how you re- respond is your instinct. Uh, if something's going bad in your relationships, how you respond usually is your instinct. So our relationships, our money, our possessions, our education, ethics at work, how we live in our neighborhood with our neighbors, how we interact with, a, with culture that doesn't always affirm uh, how we're growing in Christ, how we treat our enemies, that reflects our instinct. And Paul talks about a spiritual wisdom and knowledge that is a new kind of Christ-centered instinct in us. So how you react is your instinct. And Paul gets to this, the purpose, the purpose of discernment. He says it pretty clearly. He says it in verse 10. He's praying this, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord. Short phrase, that we would lead lives worthy of the Lord. When you see, this, when you see the word worthy, connected to your life, maybe it sounds like, oh God, I'm not worthy, or oh God, I suck, or oh God, I failed, or oh God, I'm so imperfect, you're never happy with me. And uh, some, some people have this perception, like God's just waiting for us to mess up, and then be like, you're wrong. And maybe that, that's the word, that's the sense you get when you read the word worthy, but this is not a shaming technique for Paul. This is not a technique to shame us, but Paul is reflecting this true desire that is growing in him and that has been growing in him as he has been following Christ. That's why it's a new instinct in him for a life that reflects the heart and the purpose and the way of Jesus. And for this purpose to be fulfilled in your lives, that's why Paul's praying. He's like, Lord, I pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual or the Spirit's wisdom and understanding so that this new instinct will develop in them. See, too often we only think that God's will is some big decision for our life. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go? What job should I take? You know, what would I do if I won a million dollars? I don't know. I think that's a pretty good thing to discern about. But anyways. um, But see, God's will at a base level is how we live our lives daily in the world reflecting his kingdom, how we act, how we react to neighbors, to loss, to success, to tragedy, to needs, to those who are different from us, to our enemies, to our friends, to our in-laws. How do you, anyways, sorry. How do you react to your in-laws? There's, what's the Christian instinct there? Anyways, so, but this is all, like, this is all a foundation for the bigger issues of life, it's a, bigger, it's a foundation for bigger decisions like, yeah, who will we marry? What kind of, not just who, but what kind of person do we want to be with and what kind of person do we want to be in this marriage if marriage is the vocation you're in? Where, where we send our kids to school, is God calling me to full-time ministry or not? Is, is, is it worth taking this job out of province or out of country? Should I do this? Uh, is this promotion good or bad for me? Should I take it? Does it fit my, 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 my gifts and my capacity? And so the basic level of discernment really is a foundation for the bigger levels of discernment, which we're not going to get into today, but they're there, how we discern God's will. But what I'm really interested in in this text is what are some clues that me and you are actually becoming a discerning person? Like, what are some hints that you and I are becoming discerning people? What does it feel like when we discern well or when we become discerning people? Can I just turn this because it keeps moving? Oh, that's so good. This was shaking the whole time. And I was like, 
I was trying to manage four things at once. I'm not a good multitasker. Um, so, like, what's the proof that, that we're discerning well? And I think this is important. Like, if someone asks you the question, what's the proof that, that this person's a good musician? And I would say, well, man, the clues that they're a good musician is that they practice, is that they enjoy long periods of playing. If someone plays for five minutes and gets fed up, they're not a great musician. Uh, if, they, if they go to listen to other people's music, not just their own, I love, like some of my favorite musicians in the world, star, like world-class musicians, I love when they comment on other people's music. They're like, I love what so-and-so's doing. Did you check out this person's album? I was at their concert. Or somebody says, oh my gosh, this person was at my concert. I, like, I love this musician. They were at my concert. Like, a, good, a real musician does these things. They, they welcome critique. There's joy when they play. There's joy when they sing. They look natural because they've practiced. People that don't look natural usually haven't practiced, but when you practice, you, feel, you look natural when you're playing. And so there's proof that someone's a musician. There's some clues in this text as to what discerning people look like and what comes out of their life. And the first one is in verse 10, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord. And here's the first clue, fully pleasing to him fully pleasing to him. This is part of a Christian instinct. This is part of what it means to be a discerning person in Christ. We go through this cycle that drives our discernment, and what drives our discernment is we long to please God. It's not forced. It's not coerced. It's not manipulated. It's not manufactured, but a genuinely discerning follower of Jesus has this desire in their life that their life would really be an instrument in God's hands that their life would really please, truly please God in their decisions, in their actions, in their reactions, in their resources. I was listening to an interview with Charles Stanley. He's an old preacher. He's in his 80s. He's preached all his life. He's written books. Uh, some people would know who he is. At one point, he was pastoring a quite a large church in Atlanta, but he was part of this denomination uh, and this large denomination in the States. And so some people suggested that he, sh he could become the president of the denomination. This is like thousands and thousands of churches, tens of thousands of people. And there was a few people on the leadership team that didn't really want Charles Stanley to, be, to become the president. They're having this conversation. And Charles Stanley um, is talking to them, and, he's, and he says to them, well, I'm going to win either way. And they're like, well, you sound cocky, but wait. So he's like, they're like, what do you mean? He says, well, if I'm affirmed in this role, I win. If I'm not affirmed in this role, I still win. And the people that didn't really want him to be there, they're like, what do you mean? And he's like, it's not about winning or losing. In the end, if God wants to use me in this role, I win because I'm serving him. And if God doesn't want to use me in this role, I win because I'm still serving him, just not in this role. I, and he said it like this. He said, I'm content to serve God in or out of this position because my life is meant to please him and not myself and not other people. And at that moment, you just, you just, like all the air out of the room just came out, right? It's like, oh man. And because his heart was to please God and not an ambition. 
Paul says something else here. He says, not just pleasing to him, but he says, as you bear fruit in every good work. That phrase, bear fruit, is important. Discerning people eventually bear fruit. They don't, that, 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 it's not always like, um, you know, on the headlines. It's not like they, they boast about it or other people always have to know about it, but good discernment bears fruit. Bad decisions usually don't bear fruit or don't bear good fruit. But good discernment bears fruit. And this Christian instinct that we're talking about usually leads to fruitfulness and flourishing in one's life. Now, be careful. Don't confuse fruitfulness and flourishing with success, wealth, and ease. Sometimes it might feel successful. Sometimes remuneration's involved. Sometimes life gets better as a result of good discernment, but not always. But discernment always leads to fruitfulness in who we're becoming and what we're doing. And here's a clue. What does it look like to be a discerning person? We bear fruit. But Paul goes on and he says, we bear fruit in every good work. Here's another clue what it means to be a discerning person. Because discernment doesn't just affect one part of your life. Discernment doesn't just affect what people see. Discernment is not just the ministry you have in the church. It's not just what you label as Christian. You know, I, I, I reflect on the scriptures every day. I pray. I discern to make time in the day to be with Christ. I'm discerning. I'm, I'm serving in the church. And it's like, those are, those are really important pockets of your life. But Paul says every good work. Relationships, work in the day, the impact in our neighborhood, our participation with justice and peace, our vocation, our calling, our parenting, our marriage, our singleness, in every good work, in all of our lives. Tim Keller actually writes a book with that title, if you ever want to read it, Every Good Work. Um, because it's really, when we are growing in discernment and bearing fruit, it's not meant just to be this little pocket of my life that I call Christian or spiritual or religious. But God wants to work in all of our lives. So important. And here's this next piece, this clue to, to being a discerning person. And as you grow in the knowledge of God. So it cycles back to this. He's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And somehow, as they're growing, they will also grow in the knowledge of God. It's kind of like cyclical. It comes back to this. And this is important. When, I, when you catch this phrase, it's important to understand discerning people never stop growing. Discerning people never want to stop growing. Discerning people want to grow in wisdom and want to grow in knowledge and want to grow in understanding. And they want to like, take history into account, the past, present, and future. They want to understand the situations. They, they, they want to be able to, to grow in wisdom and to, to better, you know, just to understand things around them. So discerning people never stop growing. And the flip side of this, this is the harder part. Discerning people welcome critique. Discerning people welcome examination. They welcome others or a community to be able to say, I don't think this is the way that we're supposed to do this. I'm, I'm wondering if just part of our character here, or your character, is, is getting in the way. Discerning people welcome critique. They don't stop it. They're like, nobody, you know what? I love God. I'm discerning. This is good. I'm doing good. Like, wh why do you have to point out what's wrong here? But now, we could do this, but I'm telling you, discerning people don't do that. Discerning people welcome critique. 
Because uh, I think Tim Keller said this, and uh, he said there's always a kernel of truth in every critique. It might, the whole critique might not be good. They might not even be for you, these people, but there's always a kernel of truth inside a critique. And it goes back to how we're growing, again, in the knowledge of God. We're always growing towards Him. And then the, there, here's these five words that just kind of like come together in verse 11 and 12. And I'm going to kind of put them together as this clue to discernment. And, and here it is. May you be made strong. I think, yeah, can you guys like say out the yellow words with me? Okay, you ready? I want to hear like really loud. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to everything with while giving to the Father. Amazing. Here's these, these five words. Strength, endurance, patience, joy, thanks, or gratitude. This is part of the fruit of a life that grows in discernment. When we grow in discernment, we also see these fruits grow in our lives. Strength, endurance, patience, joy, gratitude. And they're curated, developed by what? By spiritual wisdom and knowledge. By the, 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 the instinct, instinct of following Jesus. And you know what's the amazing thing? So the fruit grows in our lives. These five things grow in our lives. And it's not like exhaustive, but we're just picking from this list, from this scripture. These things grow in our lives, and then these things help us discern. Isn't it true? Like, strength helps us discern. Endurance helps you get through things so you don't act too quickly, so you can be patient, and that helps you discern. When you approach things with joy, you're not approaching them with fear. That normally helps you discern better. When you're grateful and not greedy, you're able to discern better, right? So think about these characteristics. These characteristics grow when we become discerning people, and these characteristics in turn help us discern better and make better decisions. And I think we can say this is almost like part of the basic test of discernment in our life. Do we feel these things as we're making decisions, as we're discerning, as we're looking at the next turn, the next fork in our life, and as we're making these decisions, can we go back and say, yes, I feel God's strength. I feel him empowering me to endure, to be patient. I feel joy. I feel gratitude. Joy is not happy. Joy is joy, right? Joy is something that the Lord does in us in that moment. So these are all clues or proof of a discerning person pleasing God bearing fruit, every good work. These five characteristics, they're so important. And so we kind of see the purpose, leading lives worthy of the Lord, this genuine desire, and then these clues to what it means to be a discerning person or what we will feel as a result. But in our prayer time today um, with our teams, and I heard it once or twice, I heard this come up, this idea of what grabs our attention and here's something that I, I know I, I struggle with, and I'm sure some of us struggle with. And uh, we, we've got something pretty big working against us when it comes to discernment. And it's this, everything else that grabs our attention. <laughs> the, everything else that grabs our attention works against being a discerning person. 
It's so true. I want to just read one, one short couple of verses from like a, a similar letter to Colossians, which is the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Just 15 to 18. We're going to read this together, and we're going to pause. So we read this when we started this series, and I want to just read it here because there's something in here that's so important for this. So Paul says, and it's all about discerning, right? Be careful then how you live. That's discerning. Not as unwise people, but as wise. So that's part of discernment. Making the most right? Discerning how to make the most of the time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand the will of what the will of the Lord is. So this is all kind of leaning around this topic of discernment. But then verse 18, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Now you're saying like, so Dave is alcohol what messes up our discernment? Well, actually, yes, too much alcohol will, will mess up your discernment. But he, here's the thing, right? It's bigger than that. We all long to live wisely. We all long to make the most of our time. I bet that each of you long to understand the will of the Lord in your life. But many of us, here's the thing, and if you don't catch anything today, catch this. Many of us are drunk on so many other things. Many of us are drunk on so many other things. Many of us are filled with something, a lot of things, whether we recognize it or not. Political ideas, social ideas, consumerism, capitalism, other isms. We're filled with all these things. And these other truths fill our mind constantly. And because they fill our mind constantly, we're often then drinking from the well of culture, drinking from the well of politics, drinking from the well of entertainment, drinking from the well of social media with no filters. And it's one of the obstacles that hurts us. And I have noticed this in me in ups and downs. And I've witnessed it in others that we all in some way, shape, or form, struggle with this. This week, a colleague of mine who leads a recovery group, um, like an AA group, he invited me to come. He said, this is an open group, so anybody can show up. So I said, and, and oddly enough, it's been about two, three years, that I've actually looked around, like, is there like uh, an AA group that I can go to? Not because, like, I'm being honest with you, not because I needed it, but because there's something beautiful that happens there. And I, I, somehow I want to be present. And so they, they said, you know, anybody, this is an open group, spouses, friends, others, so you can come as support. So I went. And it was, I'll tell you the story another time. It was a beautiful evening. But there was a really, uh, there was a man who shared his story. He's been sober for years. But he said this about his years of drug and alcohol use. He said, the substance I abused stopped me from being me. Stopped me from being me. It stopped me from being who I could have been. It stopped me from being who I was meant to be. And it wasted my time. It altered my judgment. It detoured my life. And he said, I never started taking drugs or alcohol. And the week later, when I kind of woke up for it, was like, oh, that was a great week. He said, I never thought that. So as much as it's enticing, I realize if I want to be me, if I want to be clear, if I want to engage life fully, I cannot allow this substance to consume me. So I want to ask you whether it's, even if it's not about these substances, can you relate to him? Can you feel what he's feeling? How often do we open our phone in a day? Stats say like hundreds of times. 
How much news or media do we consume? How often do we press the next episode button or don't press anything so the next episode comes up, you know, <laughs> with live streaming, right? We're just, we're just, and, and so, so I don't know what it is, but let me just ask you a real honest question. What are you getting drunk on that's inhibiting your discernment? What are you getting drunk on that's inhibiting your discernment? Because when we get, get consumed with lesser things, we damage our sensitivity to discernment. We damage the tuning fork of discernment in our minds and our hearts. We weaken the discernment muscle when we're consumed with lesser things. And I don't know the things that, that we're all drunk on, metaphorically. But here's something, and I put this on the screen. One of the greatest obstacles to discernment is distraction. One of the greatest obstacles to you and I discerning any moment of our lives, any part of our lives, any part of the Lord's leading, any aspect that we call life, the great, one of the greatest obstacles to discernment is distraction. We're so distracted that we can't really focus. There was someone doing, some, doing an install in my house for something, and there was a major problem that happened with this install. And so it was such a problem that I had to get two teams to come and fix the problem. But one of the issues is that there was, they could not guarantee no risk in damaging anything. So I'm like, that sucks. So, but it was the best decision to do, so we said, let's do it, let's trust for the best. So two teams, four guys, working together. And uh, I was like, I, I was very stressed because anything breaking meant more time and a lot more money. So one guy, it's not even a Christian, I don't think, he's like, Dave, you're a stress ball, just relax, man. <laughs> so I'm like, he's like, just go sit on the couch, do some work, do whatever. We've got four guys here, they're taking care of it. But there was one moment when it was like, it was just like, it was like a pivotal moment. And this big guy, like he's 29 years old, his name is Yanni, like he's all muscle, but he's all heart, you know, like it's just beautiful. And he's, and, and there's a moment where it's like, it could get bad. And he's like, guys, stop. Everybody stop, everybody wait, everybody don't say a word, just let me think. I just need to process this moment. And he just shut everybody up, and he's like, I don't, no distraction. And he's looking at it for like 30 seconds. We're like, what's going on in your mind, Yanni? Like, what's the next step? And then he slowly came to a solution, and it worked out. And I was like, that, that was like a very vivid illustration for me. If we're going to use the gifts of discernment, if we're going to allow the gifts we've talked about in the last few weeks and lean on the gift of the Holy Spirit and, and become people of discernment and grow this spiritual sensitivity, we must also stop, focus, process. Stop, focus, process. And so I want to end uh, today, and I'm going to ask Steve maybe to come just play in the background as we do this so we can just take a moment to pray through this as well. But I just want to invite us uh, to consider the, the spiritual practices that are not new to us and not new to us introducing them to Westside. We've introduced them in groups and emotionally healthy spirituality here on Sundays and prayer times and in past series, teaching series. But it's these two spiritual practices that I think are really helpful for us to grow in discernment, to make room to grow for discernment. And it's silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. 
Silence is one of the most hardest things for us to do in a culture of distraction. It's one of the hardest things to quiet our minds and to make room for the work of the Holy Spirit. But these two practices, silence and solitude. And, and it, it doesn't mean that when you practice five or ten minutes of silence and are still before the Lord that you're never going to look at your phone again or you're never going to press next episode or you're not going to be distracted by other things at times. But here's what it does do. It gives us this, like, this moment in time where we're practicing nothing, like nothing distracting us. So we're building a muscle. We're building a muscle to not be distracted. We're building a muscle to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go that long. I'm not going to continue. One episode's enough. This news feed is messing me up. And it's, so, it's, so it's, it's just practicing. And solitude also means solitude from these other sources. And to do it prayerfully before the Lord, just to be still before God. And I would want to encourage you that before you read Scripture, even after you read Scripture, moments of prayer, that you, you take time, you start with a minute, you start with two minutes. Some of us are growing past that towards five or ten minutes where we can just be in solitude before the Lord. And uh, I, I, I felt called to even practice this this morning. I shared it last week where last week we were going through some stuff and I, I just had to just stop. And it's these moments that teach me that I don't have to live a distracted life. I don't have to live a diverted life. I don't have to live a life on detour. Because here's the thing, we're, we're doing something. You guys know what this feels like. You're doing something, you see something, and you're like, oh, okay, and then you walk this way. Not literally, but metaphorically, you follow the thread. And then you're like, let me just take a break for a second, and you check something, and you're like, and there's like 30 minutes later, and you walk the other, you're never walking the way you want to go because you get distracted. And Silence and solitude before the Lord trains our minds, trains our hearts, makes space for the work of the Lord in us so we can be freed from that and become more discerning people. And I'm not saying that the silence and solitude is going to be the silver bullet for your discernment, but I can guarantee that the distractions are damaging it. And I can, I can attest that, that these kinds of disciplines make room for us to grow in discernment, make space for God to work. Last week we talked about the scriptures and practicing God's presence. If we're distracted, these things will become harder for us to do. So that's my invitation to us, to at least in this season leading up to Easter, we have scripture references on our website. We have readings uh, throughout the week that you can use. Incorporate silence and solitude. Set your phone or a clock for two minutes, put it far away from you, set it for five minutes, put it far away from you, and just be quiet and just simply a breath prayer from the Psalms. Lord, I'm still before you. I'm still before you. Let's just practice this now for, an, for a moment or two. Lord, I'm still before you. I quiet my mind and my heart before you, Almighty God. In moments of silence, I often need an anchor prayer, and I often say this short prayer, Jesus, free me. 
Jesus, fill me. Jesus, free me as I breathe out. Jesus, fill me as I breathe in. Our loving Heavenly Father, examine our hearts and our minds, our restless thoughts. See if there's any wicked or anxious way in me. Test our thoughts. Calm our anxieties. Address our sin. lead us to the way of everlasting. God, we long to be people with spiritual wisdom and understanding. We long to be filled with the knowledge of your will. We long to be people of discernment. God, thank you for the gifts of discernment we've walked through the last several weeks. History, time, limits, community, the wonderful, ultimate, unique gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we surrender all that to you. We pray that you would grow in us a hunger for you, a Christ-centered instinct. Thank you that you don't force us to please you, And I pray that nothing would manipulate us outside of you to please you, but that you would grow genuinely inside us from the inside out, from the core of our being as we're rooted and established in your love, a desire to please you. So we can be people who bear good fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of you, Oh, God, I pray that in the coming weeks and months as we immerse ourselves in you and invite you to keep growing us and leading us, that we, as we become people of discernment, that we would begin to notice strength and endurance and patience and joy and gratitude in who we're becoming and what we're doing. And in this season of Lent, as we lead up to the cross and the resurrection, um, Lord, many of us need to press reset. Many of us need the repentance and renewal that Lent calls us to because there's so much out there getting our attention. 
So God, these scripture readings and prayers and fasting and elements, Lord, we use them, we, 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 we engage them as a means of grace to make room for you to work in us. And I just lift up every single person in this room. You know exactly what their next step needs to be today. What they need to stop doing or start doing. Where they need to invest in their relationship with you or some start a new relationship with you as they put their trust in Jesus as Lord. Oh God, we just anticipate the fruit of a season like this. What can happen if we all grow as people of discernment? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.